there, sports fan. Welcome to the Draft Site Podcast, your home for all professional sports drafts. Brought to you by DraftSite.com, the original full-round mock draft site. Now let's get to the show. Welcome, everybody, for the fourth edition of Draft Site Podcast. We're joined today by your host, Jared Belton, and our esteemed other hosts, DJ Boyer and Zach Gutierrez. How's everyone doing tonight, guys? All's good over here. Just want to say happy Thanksgiving to start. This is the special Thanksgiving uh, Day edition. There's going to be some very good Thanksgiving uh, NFL games, but uh, hey, happy Thanksgiving to both you and everybody out there. Hi, everybody. I just want to say that last night I was sitting in Giant Stadium in the corner where Odell Beckham had that catch, and the video doesn't do it justice. It was better live. That was one of the best catches I've perhaps ever seen. I can't imagine what it was like live. I was literally sitting in that corner in that end zone, 20 rows up. And uh, the fact that he kept his feet and everything, it is the best catch I've ever seen. And I'm a big-time Antonio Brown Steelers fan. I watch a lot of Antonio Brown. He's made some crazy catches. The David Tyree Super Bowl catch was pretty amazing. But I have never seen a catch like that in a game. And supposedly he does it all the time. So there will be a lot more to come, which is very exciting. All right, and, and that game last night was uh, a game of between one of the best teams uh, in the NFL this year, Dallas Cowboys, and one of the most underachieved, New York Giants. Zach, you just released your power rankings today, uh, and you have the Giants at number 21 and the Cowboys at number 6. Yeah, it was a pretty close game. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your power rankings and uh, how you started off with the Patriots at number 1. Well, the thing I love about the NFL is the parody. The Raiders beat the Chiefs. You see that I have the Chiefs, I believe, eighth in the power rankings, and the Raiders had not won a game prior to last Thursday night. So um, that's part of the reason why the NFL is as competitive a professional league and why it's as entertaining as it is. I picked the Patriots number one because they can beat you in so many different ways. How could you not pick the Patriots number one? They're, they lost the first game to the Dolphins, and then they got smoked at Arrowhead. Since then, I mean, they've been absolutely unstoppable. They've been killing teams. Defensively, they look elite. It's going to be really, really tough for any of the AFC teams to go into Foxborough and win. And as of right now, it looks like it's going to, the, the road to the, the Super Bowl through the AFC is going to have to go through Foxborough. And it doesn't matter with, with New England. We've seen it time and time again. It's about the second or third year in, in a row where they've really suffered some key injuries, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Bill Belichick and the crew. They just seem to get it done every year. Uh, last year it was really a question of who to throw the ball to with the Aaron Hernandez situation, the Rob uh, Gronkowski uh, injury status, uh, the fact that they had uh, so many of their wide receivers they let go. I believe it was five of their top six uh, pass-receiving targets from the year before were actually gone. They were still finding a way to win and make a deep run into the playoffs. So New England just seems to do more with less than, than any other team that we've seen in the NFL, and I have to agree they're, they're at the top of the heap right now. Well, I, I think we'll see a great matchup next week between your number one and your number two team, the Green Bay Packers. I think if anyone's going to give them a run for their money, it's the Packers at home. Zach, what do you think about that? There's a lot of teams that can give them a run for their money. Obviously, that's what I was saying earlier in the NFL, that there is parity. And on any given day, any team can win. Uh, the Packers, though, right now, with Eddie Lacy running the way that Eddie Lacy's running, the way he's catching the ball out of the backfield, They'll be tough to beat. And at Lambeau, they're, they're extremely tough to beat. And uh, I'd say in the NFC, if they're playing at Lambeau, you got to think uh, sometime in the playoffs, I still think Seattle's the best team in the NFC, even, even though the Packers right now are two. Uh, Seattle at home is favored over any team in the NFL. You think if Seattle has to go to Lambeau, that I don't think they could win in Lambeau. And that's why I think it's incredibly important for them to win that game, to hold off the Lions, to get home field advantage in Lambeau. And I... And I think any time you have a quarterback who's the best player in the NFL, you're going to have a shot. And they have the best player in the NFL. And, and I really think that home field advantage in the NFC, really it's just looking like it's going to be much more critical than the AFC because, as you've alluded to, the, the, the Patriots just look like the toast of the town right now. The road is going through Foxborough, and we've, we've seen Peyton Manning's less than stellar uh, record when facing Bill Belichick coach teams. In the NFC, it's – there's a number of very, very good teams, but home field advantage is going to be so critical. Seattle, which is notoriously one of the toughest places to play, one of the loudest places to play in. You've got Green Bay, who's got a distinct home field advantage 
we're going to see a very good uh, Thanksgiving Day game here where uh, between the Cowboys and the Eagles, which is going to be for NFC East supremacy. Those teams both only have three losses right now, so they're both uh, in the running for a possible home field advantage or a first-round bye. So th- it's, it's just going to be very key uh, as far as – It's going to be an amazing Thanksgiving because we also have what I still think is the best rivalry in the NFL right now as we speak, Seattle, San Francisco. So, I mean, I've, I couldn't ask for anything better. Yeah, this is shaping up to be a, a very, very good turkey day, even even with the Bears and Lions. I mean, the Lions, the defense has been pretty stout. I mean, they, they are licking their wounds after a, a New England loss this past week, but they're, uh, they're, they're still looking good. They're, they're going to try and climb back to the top of the NFC Central. The Packers have ascended there. Uh, but Chicago, even though they're sub-500, they, they've got a, an offense when, uh, when they're moving. Uh, you know, they've got the, a lot of the components there. Jay Cutler's about as talented as – uh, you can ask for a quarterback. It's just a matter of keeping it all together, and you've got a very good uh, running back in Matt Forte. So that's a, an offense that if, if anyone's able to put some points on the lines, that's a team that can do it. Watching the Bears game, they just got to give Forte the ball. There's too many times where they get too creative. In the games where Forte touches the ball, they win. And, I mean, they haven't won that many, but they haven't been giving Forte the ball. And uh, that's really – I know this has got on a little bit of a tangent, but I just want to get it in there. There's a reason why the Cowboys are doing well right now and the Bears are doing bad. You don't fire your coach after a 10-6 and six season. That was, that was a joke amateur move, and that's why the Bears are where they are right now. And I love Mark Trustman, but consolidarity in the NFL, baby. Look at the Maras. Look at the Roonies. That's how you run a franchise. I thought it very interesting because of the fact that there, there was a lot of talk that maybe Matt Forte was getting too many touches, the fact that he is so involved in the passing game. And you know, some people were really surprised when they took Kadeem Carey as high as they did uh, but many people thought, you know, that's really going to be a way to kind of limit Matt Forte's uh, carries, get the team carry about eight to maybe 12 carries a game and kind of limit his touches. And if they they make that postseason run and have him a little fresher, but they're really not using him. And as you said, they're not using Forte as much. So I find it a little surprising. I thought we were going to see a heavy dose of Forte kind of get Kadeem carry into that, uh, that mix a little bit more and then hopefully use uh, Forte down the stretch. But the way the Bears are playing right now, they're, they're not going to have to worry about playing down the stretch or in January. Yeah, I think with rookie running backs, they just got to learn the pass block. I see a lot of these rookie running backs that look so good with the ball, and it, you, know, you, you find yourself scratching your head. Why are they not getting more carries? Why are they not getting more carries? Because they got to learn the pass block, being in passing situations. So when Kerry learns the pass block, uh, which he really didn't have to do too much of that at Arizona, they will uh, he'll, he'll get more PT. Well, just out of curiosity, while we're talking about the Thanksgiving games, I mean, these are going to be exceptional games. You have the, the Lions, Bears, the Cowboys, the Eagles, and the Seahawks, 49ers. Now, Zach, you're, uh, you're a betting man, and we're not going to hold anyone here at draft side accountable. But just out of curiosity, the line with the Bears, Lions is Detroit minus seven. Cowboys, Eagles is Dallas minus three. And Seahawks 49ers is San Francisco minus one. Who do you put your money on in those three games? I would go two underdogs money line. I'd take Seahawks money line. I'd go Eagles money line. And uh, then I would take the Bears with the spread. But uh, the reason the reason I say the Seahawks is I still think the Seahawks, people are all of the Seahawks because offensively they're not very prolific. And, you know, technically they're – not technically, literally, they're two games by in their division, but we're going to find out a lot about Seattle coming up. They got, they got San Francisco. They got Arizona. They got Philadelphia. And then they got San Francisco again. Only, only one of those games at home. So, if, I mean, if they can get through that stretch, there's a very, very good chance that, that they uh, – I'm just saying they control their own destiny in the NFC West. And that's – if, if, if Seattle has a, a home, any type of home field game in the playoffs, you, I'm, they're almost guaranteed to win. But anytime I see Seattle as a uh, as an underdog, I take the money line, except the one time because everyone knows how high I'm on the Chiefs this year. That was the only other time they were uh, an underdog this year was against the Chiefs, and, and I took the Chiefs. Uh, the only one I really would want to feel clear from is that Dallas Philadelphia game. Dallas getting the three points, which tradition uh, traditionally is what they're going to give to a home team. They're really seeing that game as uh, kind of a break-even, and, and that one to me is the, the real head-scratcher here. So either way, I really think that's just going to come down to whatever team is able to get uh, to the other team's quarterback and apply the most pressure. Uh, Philadelphia, when they've had success, it's really been blitzing and getting uh, 
getting on Tony Romo and not allowing him time to pick apart that uh, secondary that's a little bit a little bit thin and not up to par with a lot of the NFC teams. But Dallas has really seen that, an improvement with that offensive line this year. Now, even though he's an offensive lineman, Zach Martin would really, in my eyes, have to consider to be the offensive rookie of the year. Uh, so I, I think for that reason, uh, I would probably lean toward Dallas, but that could go either way. Also, I think I think Philadelphia is finally starting to get the run game going, and that's why and that's why I'm I'm leaning towards uh, towards Philadelphia. And uh, Rashard Jennings looked good last night. They found a way to get Rashard. The Giants found ways to get Rashard Jennings the ball and like little shovel passes and screen passes. And if, if Rashard Jennings knows getting 120 yards from scrimmage, you can bet that Sproles and McCoy are going to give you headaches. Good point. Well, looking at the rest of the NFL, there's obviously there's still five weeks left, but there's some tight division races, including the AFC North, with Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Baltimore all doing well this year. Zach, I'm curious. I'm looking at your power rankings right now, and you have the Steelers at seven, uh, the Ravens at 11, the Bengals at 12, and the Browns at 15. How did you distinguish between those four teams, and how did you know how to rank them all? Easy. Came down to quarterbacks, and uh, it's a quarterback-driven league. Obviously, Roethlisberger is a cut above, you know, the, the three other in the division. Uh, like I, I said in the power rankings, the Steelers just play down to their competition. But, but luckily, luckily for the Steelers, there's no bad teams in the playoffs. So if they make the playoffs, I mean, they're going to be competitive no matter who they play. I like the balance on offense. They remind me a lot of the Dallas Cowboys on offense. Very strong offensive line. Le'Veon Bell, who. If not already, next in the next few years would be the best all-purpose back in the NFL. He can block. They, he goes into five wide sets. I went uh, Ravens too to the Flacco over Dalton. I, I think the Bengals have a better team than the Ravens, but uh, I, I think Flacco is doesn't get enough credit. He's like an Eli Manning caliber quarterback. He's definitely a good quarterback. I like that they have Steve Smith now. He's a compliment they you know they really needed when they uh, since they lost Bolton. You could see that the passing game was a little one-dimensional, especially with Dennis Pitt out. And then uh, I, I still, although I don't like Dalton, I think he's better than Hoyer. Hoyer hadn't made any decisions before, I mean, any bad decisions before uh, the last few weeks. The last few weeks he's been very, very, very accident prone. It is a miracle they won. Uh, I love the team that they have around him. I can't wait for Johnny Manziel to get in. Isaiah Crowell looks like what Trent Richardson should have looked like. Josh Gordon hasn't miss, missed a beat. He looks excellent. So, uh, like you said, the AFC North interesting, and... Uh, there's a little bit of a deviation in my rankings, but that's just uh, just how I did it this week. And the reason why the Browns are significantly lower is because I, I think Hoyer is uh, you know marginal at best. DJ, how do you sort out those four teams? I would say probably about the same way. Uh, I would have to say Pittsburgh. Another thing that it comes down to, not only quarterback play, but it, it looks like that the, the winner of this division is probably going to have to play a road game. Uh, once they get into the second round uh, with with New England and with uh, Denver in the AFC, there's you know we've seen over the last you know five six, uh, probably going back to ten years, there's probably not been a better team in the AFC in the playoffs on the road than the Pittsburgh Steelers. They are a team that you know maybe uh, home field advantage doesn't seem to be as important in the AFC. Pittsburgh is a team that you know maybe they they don't stand out and they're not head and shoulders above everyone else, but they can play with anybody and they can play on the road so. They've got to be a team that just not not a lot of teams are going to want to face them, and I think uh, I I think it's a pretty good assessment. They do tend to kind of play down the competition. Uh, the defense still finds a way to get it done. They've had a couple of injuries there uh, uh, there, and the secondary has been a little lackluster. But again, Ben Roethlisberger having one of his uh, better years as a pro, and I think he's kind of flown under the radar this season. Uh, I'm kind of waiting for the wheels to come off there in Cleveland. I, not, and not only uh, Isaiah Crowell, but uh, Terrence West, he's been uh, pretty good as well. They've got a couple of very good young backs there from Alabama State and from Towson. And, uh, you know, it's a good complementary cast. Uh, the, the offensive line's been a little bit better than I, I, I think a lot of people had imagined. I, I really thought that Cincinnati, this was going to be the year that they were kind of going to crumble. I, I only saw them winning about five or six games. So that they exceeded my expectations a little bit. I thought they were the team that was going to step back just a bit in this division they're they're doing better than than anticipated the ravens they're just the ravens they're just kind of hanging around joe flacco i think has found something there with steve smith owen daniels when uh healthy uh back with gary kubiak who's the offensive coordinator and you know worked with him for years in houston that seems to be a natural fit uh i think that uh, baltimore's 
you know, they're, they're running the ball enough to really be effective, and, and not enough people are talking about the job that Mosley has done. I think uh, Arthur Brown was kind of looked at to be kind of the Ray Lewis heir apparent, and, and unfortunately it didn't work out that way. Uh, it's hard to replace a person like uh, Ray Lewis, but I think C.J. Mosley's done just about everything that the Ravens have asked for him, and he's been a very unsung hero and a good possibility we could see him uh, actually winding up as the defensive rookie of the year this season. And I just want to throw in there, because you said that the, you expected the Bengals to have a bad year. A few years ago, they could have very easily fired Marvin Lewis, and they did not, and that's why they're perennial contenders. There's a reason why the Giants won't fire Tom Coughlin. Good teams don't change coaches. The Steelers have had three coaches since 1969. Think about that. The Raiders have had three coaches since two years ago. They're one of four years. Like, the Raiders have had, like, literally 40 coaches since then. Well, let's go to the bottom of your power rankings right now. Uh, right now, you have the Jaguars, the, the worst team, the Raiders behind them, and then the Bucks behind them. How did the Jaguars um, pull behind the Raiders here? Uh, if, if you're asking me, I say because uh, Bortles. Bortles just looks bad. I mean, I, wa- I watch a, uh, a good amount of Jaguars games. I'm very interested in their team. Uh, even the touchdowns he has, they, I mean, they're not impressive. I'm just not impressed. I know he's a rookie, but a rookie should look like, like, uh, like Derek Carr looks. He shouldn't be doing anything crazy. He shouldn't be making, he should make a few bad decisions. But Bortles, I mean, since the preseason ended, has just been garbage. And I think if, uh, you were to play them both on a neutral field in London, it'd be a good game. And, uh, you know, they're, they're almost interchangeable. The Bucks are definitely a tiny, like a deviation better than both those teams. But really, I mean, you're, there's like a very, very small degree of difference between the Raiders and the Jaguars. DJ, who do you think is going to end up with the number, number one pick, the Jaguars or the Raiders? I ultimately thought it would be the Raiders just because of Right now, I, w- I would have to agree that the Jaguars are probably at the bottom. I think there's a little more excitement in Oakland. I thought it would really be Oakland ending up with that, uh, that top pick overall just because of the, the caliber of talent around them, the division. When you've got the three teams around you are San Diego, Kansas City, and Denver, and you've got six of your 16 games or you know close to half your games are against that caliber competition, uh, it's very easy to go 0-6, although you know they did so they've at least got one in the, the win column there. Yeah, that just seems to be a lot tougher than having to play the likes of Houston or, uh, the, I mean, Indianapolis the team, but you've got the likes of Houston and Tennessee, where I thought that we would probably see that the Jaguars probably hit the four win, or maybe even five win total this year. They've, they've underachieved a little bit. I really like Chris Bradley. I really, I would really like to see him succeed. It just doesn't seem like the defense has really done enough there to really kind of take on that Gus Bradley mentality or that toughness. They've been, it seems they've been searching for a steady pass rush for, it's, it's gotta be seven or eight years now, but they've just traditionally been at the bottom of this as far as getting consistent, uh, pressure on the quarterback. I know in the last four seasons, uh, nobody has sacked the quarterback less in the NFL. As a matter of fact, I believe they're 15 sacks behind uh, the next closest team on the list. So that, that plays a big part as well. I was a big, uh, Blake Bortles guy coming out of college. He's definitely regressed over the last five to six weeks. Uh, would really like to see him uh, perform a little bit better. There are some very young wideouts there. They are the second youngest team in the NFL right now behind Tennessee as, as far as roster age. So hopefully something is able to go there soon for, for Jacksonville. But I, I would put them at the bottom as well. And uh, I know I'll, I'll drop it after this, but this is my theme of the night. The Jaguars just need to keep Gus Bradley. Have some patience. Have all these NFL teams need to have patience. It's crazy to me how, how they get rid of coaches. But I think if, if the Jaguars keep Gus Bradley, they're on the right track. So if they get the number one pick, what do you think is their most pressing need? Where do they want to go with that pick? Any quarterback that's available. I know I'm, I'm, I'm really low on board. I mean, I, uh, there's other than diehard Jaguars fans, there's not many people that have watched as many Jaguar games as I have. I mean, they probably don't even have access to them. He just he he doesn't look good. I'm not impressed with him in any way, and uh, that's the most important position. So if you have somebody at the top of the board that is is a slam dunk prospect like Mariota, I would consider Mariota. But like I said uh, in a, a few podcasts ago, if I'm the Jaguars, I'm doing whatever I can to trade down. DJ, do you think they'd actually take a QB at number one? I don't think they would unless they've really got some kind of 
just offer for Blake Bortles that's going to knock their socks off. I've just been huge. I've just been a huge Leonard Williams person the whole year. He's been number one on my board the entire season. Uh, he's just just a freak athlete. He's a guy that you can play three essentially three positions along that defensive line. He can he can play just about anywhere, line up anywhere. Uh, the Jaguars are just in need of even if it's a guy that's not going to come in and give you double digit sacks. It's just the threat of someone that can occupy a couple of blockers and maybe even open up a of open up some gaps for some other players. It just seems like the threat's not even there. Jacksonville is in desperate need of consistent pressure on the quarterback. It, the secondary is is lackluster as well, but not nearly as thin as the defensive line. I think you can patch up a lot of your deficiencies in the secondary uh, with a very good pass rush. They've got one of the better young safeties in Jonathan Cyprian, but I, I just think that they're really, really lacking a pass rusher. I would jump all over Leonard Williams at number one, although – there's so many needs that the Jaguars trading back, it's probably not a bad idea just if they're able to get a couple more picks just because the Jaguars need help in so many areas. I love Leonard Williams, too, and I think that the slam dunk pick, like the draft for to be today and the Jaguars would have the first overall pick, and I'm the GM of the Jaguars. I'm taking Williams as well. Yeah, I think if you look at their defensive line, their best player this year has been Chris Clemens, at least statistically, with seven sacks. And then you have some Derek Marks. Tyson Alualu, but really, there's not too much promise that they're they're going to hold their hats on for uh, the coming years. So if you can build, if you can get a centerpiece like Leonard Williams, that's a building block for the future. They're, they're not bad at, at guarding the run, and in the red zone, they really tighten up. Like DJ said earlier, they really need a, a pass rusher too. So if you if you think that you can throw on, you know, I know it's tough to draft a pass rusher like you know top one or two unless it's like Vaughn Miller. But if you could take Gregory. And Randy Gregory and throw on 20 pounds and make him like a automatically he's a situational pass rusher. Then maybe you consider him, but I, I don't think he's worth the you know first overall pick. Say the Raiders finish number one. Uh, do they go QB? Do they stick with Derek Carr, or do they go a totally different direction? I would say you'd probably stick with Carr. He's given you enough right now to really think that that something could be there. You know they're really devoid of targets. Um, their offensive line has really been neglected over the past couple of years. And as, as many needs as the Jaguars have and the fact that they could really trade back and benefit from getting people at, at multiple positions, I think that is twofold with Oakland. I think that there's so many holes there. I think offensive line is probably their biggest need, but I don't really see an offensive lineman that if I'm sitting at number one, a guy that makes me say, yeah, this is the, the number one guy in the draft. If we take him number one, we're really going to look back at this in three or four years and say that this was absolutely the, the slam dunk pick. We made the best selection. There's some good offensive linemen there, but I think Oakland could, you know, slide back to five, somewhere in the five to ten range and, and, you know, pick up another pick, get a, an offensive lineman they really want to target and still end up in very good shape. So Oakland would, would probably be more apt to try and trade back uh, than Jacksonville, but it's, it's just so hard um, getting equal value and find a team that, really sees a prospect that they really want enough to jump into that number one spot. I think whoever's holding the pick is going to be in a good situation because somebody is going to fall in love with some quarterback and pay a ransom. I'm not saying an RG3 ransom, but I'm saying a ransom. So, uh, I mean, to say that it'll be impossible for them to trade down, it won't be, especially if a team falls in love with Mariota or if Winston comes out and a team falls in love with Winston. But if Jameis Winston comes out, I'm just assuming that he doesn't come out. But if Jameis Winston comes out, I take him first pick overall, even if I'm – and I, I don't mind Carr, even if I'm the Raiders. If I'm the Raiders, if I'm the Jaguars, if I'm any team that doesn't have a Pro Bowl quarterback. I don't think there's any chance that Jameis Winston's going back to Florida State. I think he's definitely – it's as close to about 100% as you can get. I think Jameis Winston he, is definitely – He's been saying he is, and he plays baseball. But I, I, I know, I know. But I'm saying – He's always been saying he's a man of his word, which, you know, they take that with a grain of salt. Uh, but uh, if he does come out, I think he's got to be the first overall pick. I, he's, he's a be- I think he's a better prospect than RG3. He's not on Andrew Luck's level, but, I mean, he is he's a, the total package, 100% total package. Yeah, I really think this is going to come down to risk-reward. If you're sitting there at the top, if you pick, you can take Marcus Mariota. He's, to me, he seems like a playoff quarterback guy that's – not going to give you any of the the big risk, uh, the off-the-field things that we see. Marcus Mariota is going to be a good, safe quarterback. 
but uh, Jameis Winston has that that flash, that guy who could be that you know once every five to six years that we see. But they're you know the the bust values there, you know things that were could detract from his play, some of the off the field the activity. So there's there's a lot more risk, but the reward's going to be a a heck of a lot higher. I really think it's going to come down to that risk reward assessment for whoever wants to take him. Personally, I don't think you can go wrong with either one, but I think Jameis Winston is that guy who I think can this guy win you to a lead you to a Super Bowl. Mariota, I I don't know if he can, but I, I think he's a very good safe quarterback. I don't see the bust value there. I think with Mariota, it's a good safe. Winston, you you get the instant reward. It's scheme too. It's scheme. Obviously, if Chip Kelly traded up the first overall pick, we know where he's going. But from uh, any anybody that really really sticks with the uh, like strict pro style offense. You got to go with Winston. I mean, excellent at everything. Anticipation. He hasn't lost a game. He's clutch. You can get past the fact that he's immature. I think he's a slam dunk. Either of those two quarterbacks up top there, that they really, uh, the team is going to be fine with whatever one they take. I really think it's going to be who's that third quarterback. Uh, I think that there's a the big drop off again. Well, I think we talked, we touched upon it in the last show that I think Brett Hundley is probably the biggest bust. Uh, potential out there, and he looks to be number three on many of the charts here. Um, Connor Cook has been looked at. The more I see him, I, I think that if any of the top quarterbacks would benefit going back to school, I, I, it's definitely going to be Connor Cook. I, I think that he's got a shot to be a very good quarterback, but I just don't see him. Uh, I think he slips to the second round if he comes out. He just does not look like a first-round quarterback to me. I think he's got a second or third round written all over him, and his team will take him, but I don't know if it's enough where one of those playoff contenders maybe kind of pop into the end of the first round like we see a lot of these these quarterbacks who are just a notch below that top tier. We always see that quarterback, uh, you know, Teddy Bridgewater being the one this year, where at the end of the first round, teams are kind of in leapfrogging others to try and get that quarterback and, and not have to wait around in the second round to, to hopefully see if they're going to be there or not. Some teams at the top of the draft that are definitely in quarterback need, so Tampa Bay, uh, the Jets, who knows what Washington's going to do? St. Louis, they'd be smart to take another quarterback instead of waiting for Bradford. Uh, Buffalo will probably take another QB. So there will be teams that are jostling. The question is, how high are they willing to trade up? Um, so that brings me to the next point. If you have Tampa Bay at number three, and then you have Tennessee at number four, a team like Tennessee, where you've had Mettenberg showing some success at least statistically, maybe not in the win column. What is that position of need, DJ? Well, first off, just, just to touch upon uh, real quick with the quarterbacks, we said if there's any team that's going to trade up maybe into that number one spot that values that quarterback, especially with the fact that with Lovey Smith being there, he's, he's been very kind of candid and, and has reflected upon his time in Chicago. And he said if you really had to do it over in Chicago, the one thing he would do is probably pull the plug on the Rex Grossman experiment a lot sooner kind of go after that franchise-type quarterback. So I think Lovey Smith doesn't want history to repeat itself. So I think any of those teams that have that quarterback need, who's the most likely to trade in that number one spot and kind of give up the farm, I think it would be Tampa Bay. Now, as far as needs for the Titans, you got to like what they're building offensive line. So I like that there. they got Bishop Sankey, who I really like. He, I like the fact that he sh- seems to be a very patient runner. He really waits for his blocks to – to develop, but they, they just seem to be something is just missing there because, you know, Chance Warmack, uh, they took at the top, with our top pick a couple of years ago. You got a Taylor Luan there. You go out in free agency, you get an Andrew Levitre. They're really trying to build an offensive line there. I like the building blocks they're, they're using on offense there. But I think it would probably have to be a, that big playmaker on defense. Uh, when you watch Tennessee, Michael Griffin is one of the more unsung players are one of the better safeties in this league. And no one, if, if you're not watching Tennessee and you're just watching highlights, nobody knows what Michael Griffin's doing or how valuable he is to that team. He's just an absolute terror. You put him on a perennial playoff team or a team that's really contending. And, and we're talking about Michael Griffin being in the running for uh, defensive player of the year. He's just outstanding. He's just got no help around him. I think maybe another Big guy in that secondary or maybe that, that linebacker that can kind of bring some pressure on the quarterback, that, that hybrid defensive end outside linebacker that's becoming so big at the college level and is kind of translating a little bit at the, at the NFL level as well. Tennessee just needs that, that difference maker on defense right now. So I, I really like what they're trying to do. They got Sankey there. They got that. They're trying to build that line. Maybe another target at wide receiver, but 
That, that's a team that I expected more from. I thought they were going to be kind of that surprise team, not so much on talent, but again, with Houston in that Ooh. division and with Jacksonville, I thought this was a team that was going to probably be 9-7, and 10-6, and six and really kind of uh, try and possibly even sneak into the playoffs or be in the – in the in the hunt for for a, uh, a wild card spot as Indi- uh, Indianapolis kind of ran away with that division. Uh, I also like what they're doing too. On paper, I thought they had one of the best offensive lines. And I remember at the beginning of the year, I put the power rankings out, and uh, at least you remember, you were like, I, I have a hard time projecting Tennessee drafting that high because I think they're going to be a sleeper team. And the reason they're not a sleeper team is because it's a quarterback driven league. When you have an offensive line that's Pretty good like that. Plus, definitely a plus offense line. And you got some playmakers on the outside, like uh, like Hunter and Kendall Wright. And then you throw Delaney Walker in the mix. Then then things start opening up for Bishop Sankey. They need a quarterback. I think that's the thing. And the thing is, is Mettenberger's good, but they're not going to hesitate to pull the trigger on a new quarterback because they got Mettenberger in the sixth round. It's the same reason why Bortles is in – that's why Bortles is going to get another year or two because he was a third overall pick. So it really all depends on where the player was picked. But since Mettenberger was a six-round pick, if the Titans are up there, they're to another team I see trading up to get somebody like Jameis Winston, Mariota, whatever quarterback they fall in love with. And you know Wade and Hunt loves quarterbacks. Talk about Tennessee's need for a uh, playmaker on defense as, as the big difference maker for their team next year. Are there any playmakers on defense that take that defense to the next level in this year's draft? I think uh, where they would pick uh, maybe that that outside rusher, uh, someone like a Randy Gregory was always meant, uh, already mentioned by Zach. Uh, maybe a Vic Beasley from Clemson, uh, Shane Ray from Missouri. There's there's going to be a couple of guys out there that can really bring the heat along the outside. So I think one of those guys that would benefit. I think uh, maybe in the second or third round, you start having them looking toward uh, some secondary help because again, there's not a lot of corners that I would put near the top of this draft but it's going to be deep. We talked about the run that we're going to see probably in the, I would say, the third to fifth rounds. Uh, we could see a, a huge run in the secondary, especially at corner. And, and I talked about uh, Brett Hundley. I had him, uh, I had Tennessee going there in the second round. Seems like, you know, they're, they're going to be looking for a quarterback. I'm not quite as sold on him, but, again, if there's a quarterback whisperer out there on one of these, uh, <laughs> these teams that have uh, new, quarter, or, uh, new coaches kind of leading the regime, uh, you would have to think that it would be Ken Wisenhunt uh, in Tennessee there, and they've already they're they're trying to build that line. I, and I think with Bishop Sankey, uh, he was my pick to actually uh, being the 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 running for offensive rookie of the year. It was him and Brandon Cooks from New Orleans. Uh, it was a little bit disappointing. There was a lot of uh, talk that uh, the Titans were not enamored with his footwork and the way he was hitting the hole. But he is very patient. He makes a lot of good decisions. Now where uh, it just seems to be. So close to breaking a couple of big runs and maybe getting in the end zone a little bit more, and, and I think Tennessee will be okay. Well, let's talk about the next two teams on uh, the bottom of the power rankings. One comes from the AFC East, one comes from the NFC East, the New York Jets and the Washington Redskins. What do you do there? I think uh, when you're looking at the future of a team, the Jets, and like I wrote this in the power rankings, have the bleakest future. On Their front seven is excellent. And... Uh, from that standpoint, they're they're not in a, in a terrible, terrible situation. But on offense, I mean, they got nobody. I mean, they they overpaid Eric Decker. Eric Decker was good, but I mean, look what Emmanuel Sanders is doing in his position. You throw me into that position on Denver, and I'm good for 700 yards and eight touchdowns. They got no quarterback. Chris Ivy's all right. They went out and got Chris Johnson. Another like that's what that's what organizations that don't know how to build football teams do. They go out and get random people to be their future players, I, uh, who's their second receiver? I mean, maybe Chase Amara is probably the only person that I would that I'd keep on that team. The offensive line's a shell of what it used to be, and uh, the Redskins are just <laughs> toxic right now. I say get rid of our RG3. I think uh, when, you, when you have RG3 and you have Deshaun Jackson, and uh, you, have, I mean, you have Deshaun Jackson calling RG3 basic, you have RG3 you're calling up the entire team apart from himself, uh, those are just two teams that I would not want to be a fan of, and those are definitely teams that I definitely would not want to coach. And that's why I really feel for Jay Gruden. And I think he he's a good coach. Uh, I just think, uh, you know, he, personnel. Both those teams, personnel wise, are, are are pretty bad. And defensively, they're both they're both all right. The the Redskins are much better on defense than people give them credit for. And as everyone knows, the Jets are 
probably have the best front seven in the NFL. Yeah, I, right. I think Washington. the Redskins are a perfect example of what you mentioned, Zach, uh, but the teams have no patience, and Daniel Snyder is the perfect example of that who just runs through coaches like he does uh, perhaps other things in his life. It's like he's playing. It's like he's playing a video game. Oh, I'll go out and get Mike Shanahan. He has two championships. Oh, I'll get. I'll, I'll overpay for RG three. Terrible owner. With uh, Washington, they would really benefit from getting a more veteran presence. Uh, we, we some of these teams. Uh, we talked about uh, some patience and getting that young player and really letting that person develop from the quarterback spot. I uh, really think with with Jake Gruden there, I think he we kind of benefit from having a, more of a veteran around. Uh, he, I think he's got a little more out of Andy Dalton there. I've not been the biggest Andy Dalton supporter. I've, he's, he's kind of disappeared in some very big games. I, I think just having that that veteran presence or maybe even someone who's been kind of like a backup or kind of like a second-tier guy who can kind of step in and, and really run that offense and just be efficient because you know, the running game there, I, I really think it's affected the running game uh, more than anything with, with that pistol and with Alfred Morris. I really thought that he had a bigger impact and, and more to do with Washington's success when RG3 was a rookie than, than RG3 did. And I, um, another thing that's really interesting is the contract for RG3. The Redskins have a very big decision to make because next year uh, it's in his contract that uh, basically the Redskins can sever ties with him or in, I believe it's May of next year, the, the way the, call, the contract is written, uh, RG3 will actually have to have a one-year salary, which is among the uh, kind of like we see with the restricted free agents. And uh, it would have to be upon the, the average, I believe it's top ten quarterbacks in the in the league, which right now I think mathematically is at about $18.5 million. So, uh, I mean, there's going to be a big argument whether is RG3 the guy to lead this franchise to the next level. Not sure if, if pulling the plug on him is going to be the best thing, but I can tell you he's definitely not worth $18.5 million from a financial standpoint. The Redskins would really benefit trying to bring someone else in to run that offense. And, and as far as where they go in the draft, it's a little bit high. We haven't seen a safety go that high. But the, the, the safeties, it's just been an absolute uh, debacle there in Washington. And unfortunately, since the death of Sean Taylor, they really haven't had any leadership back there. That's why I think a guy like Landon Collins, he comes out from Alabama – does declare like I think he's he's going to. He's far and away the best safety in this draft, and he'll probably be taken by a team like Chicago or Washington, maybe a little bit higher than what we normally see safeties go. But I think we're going to see him go in the top ten because those two teams really, really need a safety, and they know that the drop-off between a player like Collins and the next safeties on the board is so vast. So I think uh, Washington or Chicago – which right now would both be picking in the top ten. One of those teams probably take him. And, uh, again, it's, it's a lot higher than we normally see safeties go, but I, I think he's locked to be a top ten pick. Jay, I have an interesting question for you. Washington has a number six pick. Any team out there says, hey, you can pick any player on our roster and you just give us a number six pick. Who is that one player in the NFL who would be the perfect fit for the Washington Redskins that might turn their hopes around. Oh wow! Oh, uh, you'd probably have to someone who want Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> <laughs> they, they Andrew Luck. I mean, any quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or uh, yeah, because right now you know they've got you know, Pierre Garcon had a a record year there as far as catching passes, but it really just hasn't had. Uh, the success and really been able to get into the end zone. You've got a big play threat in, in Deshaun Jackson, who it just accelerates probably faster than we've ever seen uh, any NFL player in the past. People talk about his speed so much. It's not really his speed. There are players that are faster than Deshaun Jackson. I've just never seen anyone get up to speed as fast as he does. It seems like two steps is at, at top speed. I think that's why he's able to create such separation. Uh, it's just very deceptive, and when you watch him live, it's just amazing how fast he gets to top speed. But I'm not sure. The defense has been up and down, so I'm not sure if it's defense is really the answer. They're getting pressure there, they've, especially with the players along the end. They've, you know, Rackpo, when he's, when he's been healthy, he's been able to, um, to actually generate some pressure. They, they've been able to uh, get to the quarterback. The, the, the linebacker play has been a little bit up or down. 
Uh, the secondary has really been the weak link there, so I don't know if there's anyone uh, who would really who could just come in at, at the number six pick and just say, yeah, he's definitely worth it. I, I think Washington would just have to try and build from the draft. But, again, you've got a very impatient owner in Daniel Snyder. Patience is not uh, his middle name or his virtue. So that's just a tough spot to be in. I just see the Redskins kind of spinning in turmoil for the next you know, 10 years. It just doesn't seem to be as bleak as what Zach said it is for the Jets, which it is. It might even be bleaker for the Redskins because they just kind of tease you a little bit, uh, and then they just are right back to where they were. Zach, let me ask you something. There's two teams right now who are next, uh, who would be next up to pick. They're teams that have had success in the past and who have good young quarterbacks that the teams like, and that's Carolina with Cam Newton and Minnesota with Teddy Bridgewater. What do you think those two teams need to turn around the success next season? Uh, playmaking receivers. Uh, it's too bad they didn't get on the receiver bandwagon this early because this is, you want to say wide receivers can't come in and make a difference. This is the best class of all time. First year, in their first year. I mean, it's not even close. I mean, watch, watch somebody with John Brown. John, I can't tell the difference between John Brown and Antonio Brown. Odell Beckham, Mike Evans, Jordan Matthews, Brandon Cook, Sammy Watkins, Kelvin Benjamin. It's crazy. So there, I think that misconception is going to be out the window that a wide receiver, you know, can't come in right away and make a big difference. But uh, if you're sold on Bridgewater, uh, then yeah, a playmaking receiver and maybe a running back. But McKinnon, from what I hear and, and what I see, looks uh, looks good. The the Panthers need uh, definitely another receiver and definitely a running back. I mean, D'Angelo Williams is past his prime. Jonathan Stewart's past his prime. If you watch Carolina play, it's painful. I thought they would be one of the better teams. I thought they were, were going to be like a fringe playoff team, and, and I thought the NFC South was going to be much more competitive than it, than it is. But if you watch them play, I mean, he's locked on to Kelvin Benjamin. Occasionally he gets it to Greg Olson, but other than that on offense, I mean, they have nobody. They just they don't look good at all. They, they, they can't run the ball. And I'd say for Carolina, if they're picking where I think they're going to be picking, uh you got to consider a receiver first round and the second round. Even even though I love Melvin Gordon, and you're probably not going to get anybody that loves Melvin Gordon more than me, you, you really don't need to draft running backs first round. Look at Crowell, undrafted free agent. So uh, I'd I go for playmaking receivers on both ends. And Cordero Patterson's a great football player, but uh, not this year he isn't. Yeah, well, I think Carolina needs a lot of help on their offensive line. And, DJ, we have there we go. Collins from – LSU going number eight. Uh, how do you feel about that? Well, well, I agree with the assessment of Minnesota. I, I think you do need some playmakers there. You've got to trust uh, Teddy Bridgewater just a little bit more. I like what uh, – Anthony Barr has definitely shown some flashes. I like what they got there. I was very high on him. With Carolina, there's definitely a need there for receivers. They, and, unfortunately, it's been a, a position that they've neglected the past couple of years. So, this is not just a product of oh they you know they let, let Steve Smith go they've they brought in Kelvin Benjamin this year yes but it's two or three seasons where they just like to neglect that position altogether and it's kind of caught up with them now they haven't had anyone else to develop with him unfortunately I think the Jordan Gross retirement really kind of caught them off guard I, I don't think that they were uh, I th- I think that they were they were counting on Jordan Gross for another year or two along that line so as much as they do need some receiving help. The, the line play uh, the, the, has just been atrocious in Carolina. And so that's one of the reasons why, why Carolina is as bad as they are now. And, you know, there's been talks about is how hurt is Cam Newton versus it is Cam Newton really hurt. And he's really had to come out and say, yeah, you know, I, I really I am. When we had uh, players like, uh, you know, coaches like Ron Rivera and some other people in the front office saying, no, he's not hurt. And Cam has really come out now and say, yeah, I'm kind of banged up. Well, the, the reason he's banged up is he's really – taking a lot of abuse, and I, I think they need an offensive lineman more than anything. And like Zach alluded to, you can get that running back a little bit later. Um, and I think we're, not only do you have some aging guys that they paid way too much money for, they really, really overpaid for D'Angelo Williams, but Mike Tolbert, they're one of the few teams that really still uses the fullback, I mean, to its fullest capacity. There's probably only about four or five teams that use a fullback like Carolina does. And Mike Tolbert really going down. I think that was one of the 
bigger injuries that not a lot of people paid attention to. That really takes a lot out of that uh, that offense and what they like to do. They're kind of more that power-oriented run team. They really got to give it to him on the goal line. And you know, he's a spot guy that, that can run the ball as well. We've seen Mike Tolbert have a lot of success. So I think that really had a lot to do with the offensive woes we see in Carolina right now as well. So the defense is – there's still some playmakers there. I, they, they need some guys in the secondary – but I would definitely go along the offensive line. And Andrews Pete from, from Stanford, Leo Collins from LSU, because not only do they need someone along the line, they need someone with kind of a nasty edge. There's really – Jordan Gross was a little more – he could really kind of get nasty at times. He was one of those guys that uh, kind of developed more of a kind of that nasty disposition toward the end of his career. And Carolina's really missing that uh, element, uh, that, that nasty play. And, and you need – at least one player like that along your line. So not really not very good. They don't they don't have that edge that they used to have. Zach, here's a topic I know you'll love. Cleveland has two draft picks in the first round in the 2015 draft. What do they need if they don't make the playoffs? Ooh, I love that. I love. Well, you know me. I'm I'm keeping Manziel. I'm keeping that young backfield intact. I like their offensive line. Uh, I think he. I don't want to sound like a typical fan that's like, oh, get, get, get the sexy receiver, but it'd be nice to have someone opposite Josh Gordon because, uh, as you can see, while Josh Gordon was gone, no one really stepped up. They definitely didn't have a primary receiver, not even not even a real two receiver. So I, I go for uh, a two receiver and then uh, I'd say uh, like some sort of uh, middle linebacker. Carlos Dansby is definitely not getting any younger. So I, I'd say like that. That that versatile athletic linebacker, like a Shazier, where you could put, uh, you know, play pretty much any position while he learns until he takes over the middle. I would definitely say wide receiver would be the the first place I would look. Uh, I think maybe uh, Amari Cooper's kind of emerged as the top guy. He probably won't be there when Cleveland picks. So I think a Jalen Strong uh, has got some size there. I think he kind of fits in as a number two complement to a player like Josh Gordon. I would also think linebacker or maybe even safety. I think uh, they're, they're looking to get a little bit more of a return for, um, um, for their cornerback play opposite of uh, Joe Hayden. I don't think uh, Gilbert's really turned out to be the, the player thus far that they, they, they thought he, he's shown some flashes. But I, I think they have to be patient there. I think that DeQuell Jackson kind of uh, leadership along the, the, the inside linebacker position is kind of missing. I would think maybe a hybrid-type defensive lineman that you can kind of move around. Cleveland's kind of had – is kind of missing that joker-type person or someone to get a, a little more rush, someone that a, like a, a Barcavius Mingo, unfortunately, has not been able to do on a consistent basis. But I think just more of a, a sure-file, uh, surefire tackler, maybe someone who doesn't have the necessarily the, the range. Someone like, you know, San Francisco got a steal with Chris, Chris Borland. Borland, Borland, yeah. As late as they got him, and, you know, of course, they weren't counting on the Patrick Lewis injury. Now that, that just looks to be one of the greatest picks in this past draft. Orleans just turned out to be a godsend for San Francisco. I think a player like that, again, just a surefire tackler that maybe just doesn't have that, uh, that range. I, and, and there's probably a couple of players that, that maybe if they declare early that might not be the, the big names, but I think are going to move up a little bit. And a player like a Kyler Fackerel from Utah State who – that's a possibility, possibly even sneaking into late round one. There, there was another player like that a couple of years ago from Utah State, kind of went from fourth or fifth round obscurity all the way up to the second round, and a lot of teams were kind of trade for him. It turned out to be Bobby Wagner. And, of course, he's made a whale of difference out in Seattle. It, it could be the same type of situation there. Uh, I think uh, they would really benefit from a strong inside uh, presence at the, at the linebacker position. So there's two – Two teams that always, in my mind, have had good drafts the last decade, and that's the New York Giants and the Houston Texans. But for some reason, they're not really entirely putting it together. I think with the Houston Texans, it's pretty obvious they can use a franchise QB, unless you think Malice that. With the Giants, you have Eli Manning. There's a lot of question marks, though, how you build those rosters with, which, with such great depth along all the positions. How do you feel the Giants could use this draft to get themselves back in a better position? The Giants, there's not really that one position that's just screaming. I mean, I, I see them where maybe just for depth purposes, they, they need some help at a couple different places. But I don't see that one just 
this is the position where we need someone. Um, it, the Giants, it's, it's kind of cliche, but that best player available, I, I think, applies to a team like the Giants. You can always look around the offensive line, but it seems that they've went that direction the past couple of drafts. Possibly the secondary. There was some turnover there, especially with free agency. Um, but again, this is a, a draft where the cornerbacks are not going to be kind of centerpieces or those marquee players. But I think with the Giants, it could really be more about just who is the best player that's out there. Um, just another big play linebacker. I think that's a possibility too. So uh, it's it's really just going to depend on where they where they end up picking, which right now looks to be kind of in that probably that 12 to 17 range. Um, I'm not sure where they picked today, but I, I'd say it's probably in that area. So just a number of different areas where they could go. Possibly even, you know, just another pass rusher. They love rotating those uh, those defensive linemen. And, you know, if there's a, a defensive lineman that's out there that, that they really think is going to make that make that transition or, or or really get them over the hump, which so possibly a defensive tackle because – a defensive tackle, it's a strong, strong draft for defensive tackles, even though you might not say that's, that's the number one area of need when you look at a Giants roster. Since there's so many good defensive tackles out there, there's, there's bound to be someone there in the middle of the first round that, uh, that they could take and you know, just, make a, just make a huge impact. Or, again, the Giants just going for more picks, kind of slide down into the end of the first round. Take a player like a Carl Davis from Iowa. Take a player like a Michael Bennett from Ohio State just along that line, and then just uh, we're just really trying to bolster one of the areas that's been one of their, their stronger suits over the last, uh, you know, five to six years. Well, Zach, you watched them in person yesterday. What do you think they're missing? I think they're good, and I think they just don't need to panic. I think uh, you keep Coughlin around. Uh, I mean, Coughlin's in tenure at this point, so he's not going anywhere. Um, they they could probably – from um, just my sample size is small. It's not that small. I mean, I go to a lot of Giant games, but – if they could have somebody in the second, it does killed them last night. Uh, DeMarco ran the ball exactly how you would expect them to, but I think the Giants, like the Steelers, are a well-worn franchise, and they're gonna they're gonna draft the best player available. And uh, they're not they're not overly uh, emphasizing a, a schematic fit. They're gonna draft the player that's probably highest on their draft board, and uh, a player cause, that I like. And, and like DJ mentioned, they they use a lot of pass rusher. They're, they really. Uh, made the NASCAR package famous, you know, third down, long, bringing all four pass rushers, and a player that's not getting enough notoriety because he's been suspended all year. But trust me when I say he is a freak as Noah Spence from Ohio State. And if for some reason he decides to uh, declare which he would be eligible, that's somebody that I think that'd be a really good, versatile lineman, like a, like a Matthias Kiwanukas with a higher ceiling for the Giants. Or uh, some sort of corner. If Landon Collins is there, just a playmaker in the secondary because Dez really tore him up. And uh, but it, it, the, the pass rush wasn't there. If you, if you look at, especially on uh, Dez's touchdowns in plays, Romo Romo had way too much time. But uh, like DJ said, an interior pass rush. Michael Bennett would be nice pairing him up with his old Ohio State teammate Jonathan Hankins. So anytime you can get any sort of pass rush, teams that know what they're doing in the NFL are gonna take that over. Cornerbacks. Uh, let's uh, let's talk one more team, and then we're going to end this. Let's talk Houston, a team that you know seems that they could be on the verge of breaking through, but they're faltering once again this year. What do they need, Zach? Uh, like any team that uh, isn't consistently good, they need a quarterback. Ryan Mallett, I, I know he knows uh, O'Brien's system. Uh, Alfred Blue's filling in nicely for Arian Foster. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins isn't bad. They are, they, I mean, they need a quarterback. Defensively, uh, I mean, they're solid, and, and they're not a bad team. They're, they're much better than their record shows. I mean, that, that Thursday night game against the Colts was a battle. Uh, for most of the, for at least for the first half of the game, first, first, you know, 30% of the game, I thought they were going to beat the Steelers. Uh, they played a close game against the Browns. I mean, they, they've, uh, I mean, sorry, they beat the Browns, but they, they've been playing close games. So that's a team like if a, a few things went their way, could could be in playoff contention. That could have been the team DJ was referring to, like the Titans, that could be uh, a challenger to the uh, the Colts. But uh, from a draft standpoint, I mean, Andre Johnson uh, is definitely not getting any younger. And uh, I, I'm just curious to see how Jadavia and Clowney does, because I haven't, I haven't seen much from him 
if if I'm them, I'm going uh, either offensive line or uh, interior pass rush, like like a, like a a big nose stopper. I mean, a, a big run stopper at the nose. I would definitely say with with what they've been missing ever since they they took this the swing the swing and the miss on Okoye out of uh, Louisville a good number of years back. They they've kind of missed that uh, defensive tackle, and you know they're really playing JJ Watt there more than what a lot of people realize. Not just that defensive end. They move him around a lot, and he's definitely been playing more along the interior. Um, they kind of bring uh, Whitney Merciless uh, into J.J. Watt's uh, position and kind of bring him uh, out from that linebacker spot. So I think that that defensive tackle would be good. But, again, is, is there going to be – it's going to depend where Houston finishes. Uh, aside from Leonard Williams, there's a lot of very good defensive tackles. But I think that's, you know, we're going to be looking at the end of the first round, early second round. So maybe that's like, you know, where their, you know, second round is, is where they, they would go. But uh, the one area, um, I, I would really say kind of that, that tight end position as well because they really, I think having that Owen Daniels presence is something the Titans would really benefit from. Andre Johnson's not getting any younger. DeAndre Hopkins is a very good target. And I think they need someone else to kind of take the pressure off there. So I, I don't think they have to go for like that Devin Funches. I think they – they need more kind of that, that hybrid guy. A Nick O'Leary out of Florida State, I think, would be perfect in that offense. Um, they, they could even get someone a little bit later, in kind of like the fourth or fifth round, maybe a guy that could come in and, and really push for some, some playing time, maybe be that H-back type, someone that they can split out a little bit as well, uh, that, that uh, athletic tight end, uh, aside from a Nick O'Leary. Maybe even take a guy with some more size, maybe a Koyak out of uh, Notre Dame. Um, again, some of the small schoolers, there's, there's a couple of good small schoolers. I had mentioned last week Michael Pruitt from Southern Illinois, uh, another guy who I think is going to be getting a lot of attention and is probably going to be moving up uh, a lot of boards. Or, or Rory Anderson from South Carolina, who unfortunately uh, is now starting to – has been hurt a lot early in his career. Now the fact that he's, uh, he's actually healthy, he's been, he's been playing pretty well. Unfortunately, it's, it's been going a little bit under the radar because South Carolina has not been on par – with where they've been the last four to five years. Uh, I really think that getting that type of uh, guy that can even be, even play some spot fullback for Houston would really go a long way for that offense. It definitely needs to be a blocking pass catcher. I mean, that's, that's straight power on offense. And, uh, and I know I sound like a broken record because DJ, his knowledge of, of the college prospects definitely trumps mine. But, uh, I mean, I, as, as I mentioned before, I, I keep a very, very close eye on Ohio State. And uh, Jeff Howerman on Ohio State is, is a tight end that doesn't get enough credit. He doesn't get the ball enough, but he can block, and he's, and he, and he's a uh, matchup nightmare. Well, a, a very good player. I think a very good red zone target. And there, there's a number of – it's going to be interesting because there's a couple of tight ends who are really good that unfortunately have been dealing with some health issues. Uh, there's a couple of people that have been hurt that, that I think uh, if they are coming out this year, a player like a Kevon Cartwright actually out of Colorado State, uh, he's been hurt for most of the year. He'll probably be available. He's a guy that we were really expecting big things from, and unfortunately he's only had one catch before he went down in the, in the, in the very first game of the year. But players like that um, who, who are a little bit bigger, uh, I think that they, they need another solid red zone target. So so I think that uh, that's something that would really, really benefit Houston. Because they're, they're a lot closer than a lot of people realize. I think Houston or Tennessee – I've really been waiting for – I've really thought that the team that could assert itself as the second best in that division just because of the competition would really be in good shape for the AFC playoff, uh, the wild card spot. But, unfortunately, that's not come to fruition for anyone uh, in the AFC South. Yeah, happy to have DJ. Who's your Heisman right now? Uh, it would be Mariota. Mariota. Not Gordon? Gordon's not going to sneak in there? He's number two. He's definitely got a shot. He's definitely got a shot. Yeah, he's got a shot, especially because he's going to be playing the Buckeyes in the Big Ten Championship. That's it. And, uh, I mean, Buckeyes gave up, like, you know, almost 200 yards to Cobb. Uh, Coleman freaking ran for another 200 yards against him this week. I was going to say 227, 228, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, another guy we haven't even touched upon, if he, if, if he actually turns pro, Kevin Coleman. So. Yeah, yeah. It'll be a deep running back class. It'll definitely be a deep running back class, especially if he goes pro. How about Kareem? You put him in the highs in the watch from Oklahoma, who just broke your boy Melvin Gordon's record. No, yeah, no, no. He's a freshman. I mean, I put Jerry, J.T. Barrett in there because he's a freshman, but no. He'd be broken against no, I Kansas. I, I put in my uh, 
Heisman uh, watch today, the, the, the only guy that kind of slipped into the top ten that I said is my next prospect that I really want to look hard at is Garrett Grayson and what he's done at Colorado State. He's definitely got the numbers. State's kind of flown under the radar 10-1, and one, the only loss being to Boise. I, I said that my next uh, prospect or, or assignment is really going to look at him and kind of assess him for the next level because i I got to admit I've kind of slept on him, and he's kind of snuck up there. And I had a couple people ask me my opinion, and I'm like, honestly, I, I – I can't tell you. I've seen him, but I haven't seen enough of him to really know. But you know, he's got some very good numbers when you look at him and what they've done at ten and one. Uh, kind of got to get him into the uh, kind of get him into the question. And six two two twenty five, decent. It's just uh, if he's able to stay healthy. He's had a couple of injuries early in his career. Well, that's all she wrote tonight, everybody. Uh, check out the Monday Night Football game, the Ravens against the Saints. It's starting now. Let's uh, not forget to check out our blog, draftside.wordpress.com. You'll see Zach's power rankings, DJ's news and notes. And if you go to draftside.com, you'll see the latest Heisman watch. You'll see DJ's fierce 40. And you'll see our new mock draft that will be coming up tonight. So thanks, everyone, for joining. DJ, Zach. Thanks again, and we'll see you all next week. Good show, guys. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thanks. Take it easy, fellas. Well,